Welcome to CB Talks, a podcast from Silver Cloud Health, the leading global provider of evidence-based well-being and behavioral health solutions. I'm Dr. Jorge Palacios, Senior Digital Health Scientist, and in each episode, I explore the science of digital mental health. I'm joined by leading mental health practitioners, advocates, and experts as we consider how the latest research can be used to empower those using its services. For today's episode, I'm looking at the concept of burnout and the intense pressure experienced by workers in general, but specifically those in the medical field, and about the impact of the pandemic on all of us. I'm pleased to be joined by Dr. Lindsay Henderson, who's the Director of Psychological Services with Amwell. Amwell provides telehealth services across the US and connects patients with doctors virtually via secure video appointments. Lindsay is responsible for collaborating on the ongoing development of the behavioral health telemedicine program within the company. Hey, Lindsay, how are you? Good, thanks. How are you, Jorge? Good, good. Can you just tell me a little bit about yourself, your career journey, but in a way to, to tell me how you came to know so much about the subject at hand today, you know, how, what made you something of an expert in burnout, uh, especially when it comes to clinicians? Sure. So I don't know. I don't know if I am an expert or we all are experts right now, honestly. So I'm a clinical psychologist. I did my postdoc and worked for five years as a psychologist at McLean Hospital in the Boston area, which is part of the Harvard teaching system, which is the most wonderful place to learn um, as a clinician, as a psychologist in the world. And it was really hard work, right? I was working in the adolescent department with individual teens who needed to be in the hospital because they were not able to, you know, meet tasks of daily living or they were um, self-injuring or suicidal, um, you know, pretty heavy stuff. And after several years of it, I noticed that it was, it was becoming hard. And I started looking at what are the things that make certain types of work hard? Um, and what are the systemic things, you know, organizational um, features that make make work hard? When I started a family, when I had my first child, who's now six, I looked for a way to continue my career, but also have a better balance, um, being able to be a mother and a wife and just have a little bit more kind of balanced life. So I discovered telehealth as a provider, just seeking um, a more flexible way to practice and to continue my career. And um, that's when I joined Amwell as a therapist six years ago, and I started practicing on the platform and really only saw people via telehealth for years. And slowly over the years, I was the assistant director of the therapy program, and now I'm the director of our therapy offerings within Amwell. So overseeing our uh, video telehealth uh, across all 50 states, and then excitingly, you know, pretty active in the integration of SilverCloud's offerings into the Amwell family as well. When COVID hit, when the global pandemic hit, which I honestly did not realize was something that I needed to worry about. Like I, I didn't, it was not on my radar of a global pandemic before the year 2020. So um, when that hit, I got really interested in, you know, just what 
what is this doing to us? What's the impact on our mental health? And I began putting together presentations delivered to a variety of different audiences about mental health and COVID. And I had to update them about every quarter because it was changing. You know, it kept changing every quarter. It's still changing. It's still evolving. And when I interact with and supervise and lead and communicate with my network of therapists, I you know, heard so many themes, so many of the similar kind of sentiments, so many kind of like just difficult feelings and feedback. And I know that we weren't alone. We're just mental health therapists in the larger kind of healthcare professional ecosystem and and all folks are suffering right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that's that's one of the main themes that I've gotten out of many of these conversations about, you know, we have to just talk about it, start by talking about it. We can't ignore it. And mental health in, in general has always kind of lagged behind other matters, you know, especially physical health. And in the similar way, the pandemic hit the headlines in so many ways and mental health seemed to lag behind. But fortunately, there's people who saw the road ahead, visionaries, if you will, in that and yourself included, you know, there was a, a couple of studies that started, you know, to ask questions, surveys around how is this affecting your mental health, right? So we should definitely talk about that. And we're going to um, the effect of the pandemic. But I want to take a step back and talk about burnout itself. I want to define it a little bit more and differentiate it from other concepts, because you may ask a few people and they might give you a different answer. And and is burnout an all-encompassing thing that we use to refer to feeling stressed or tired or, or is it specific to something else? So burnout is certainly, it's a term that's used a lot, right? And it's used sort of in everyday language. And we as psychologists know that a lot of the terms that sort of translate to popular kind of um, conversation and culture and, and discussion can have a risk of losing or being diluted, right, from their original definition and meaning. And, that, you know, that's okay. But there is actually research and study and a definition of burnout that has um, originated, I don't know, a couple of decades ago by a psychologist, Christina Maslach, primarily. And there's kind of a, a set of contributing factors and it is more than just being stressed out. It's more than just being tired. And it actually, you know, it, it's been recognized as a official medical diagnosis by the World Health Organization. So, you know, it's not in the DSM. It's not in our, you know, psychiatric handbook of uh, diagnostics, but it is recognized by the World Health Organization. And I think it got that recognition because of the fallout that we're seeing over the past couple of years, where some of the contributing factors include things like a workload, you know, simply when your workload extends your capacity for an extended period of time, and you can't get your work effectively done. That's one contributing factor. And that's probably like, we could all relate to that at some point. So that that can't be it alone. There's a perceived lack of control. So feeling like you don't have efficacy and ability to control to have impact around you, can't change the situation. There's the uh, mismatch of reward. So it, it's not just not being paid enough, right? You're not burnt out if you're working hard and not being paid as much as you want. But it is that like extrinsic and intrinsic rewards. They just don't match the time and effort that you have been putting into it over a period of time. 
uh, that's uh, there's so much there. I mean, you said something like extends your capacity. So that to me tells me that it's something of a subjective feeling because it depends on what your capacity is or how you perceive it or um, or what your personal limit is. So what burnout can feel to someone may not be at the level to someone else. I mean, someone's threshold for burnout could be different, right? One thing that I've seen is that, especially in the pandemic, what's been heightened in healthcare workers is that it's kind of normal for them to talk about how burnt out they are and how they're overworked and things like that. But I think that that was also common from before. I mean, I when I studied medicine, people like bragged about the number of straight hours that they spent in A&E, right? Oh, I was without sleep with for 36 hours. I mean, I I remember doing that as well. It was it was kind of like, you know, going through the gauntlet and it was a sense of accomplishment. Yeah, now I'm a proper doctor because I've suffered from this. Right. No one used the term burnout back then, but it was kind of, you know, a rite of passage. So we are in an industry that normalized it even before the pandemic, right? Right. And aren't there now regulations and guidelines around how many straight hours a doctor can work because it's so unsafe and dangerous yeah. to be deep sleep deprived? Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> yes. And it's, yes. And it's, and it's dangerous to, for patients, yeah. But, um, you know, even with the guidelines, th there is that, that feeling of, just like you said, I mean, you know, you enter, again, you enter the profession because you want to help people. So when you see that someone isn't being helped, your go-to is to think this person needs help, whatever help they can get, even from a sleep-deprived doctor who may not even have that specialty, right? Because it's better than nothing. But if you feel that all the time and act like that all the time, you know, it leads to burnout. And this thing which you talked about, which is this reduced sense of personal accomplishment, right? Because like, you know, no matter how much you do, it's never enough and it's not going to be enough, especially when the demand is so high. And that just like, you know, changes your whole brain structure. I mean, this is not an exaggeration. It's been studied, you know, the, the neurodynamics of, of Bernard have been studied and, you know, it, it messes with your cognitive ability, with your prefrontal cortex, et cetera, et cetera. But it creates this complete reduced sense of personal accomplishment. For me, it almost feels like a kind of high emotion topic, this idea of like, helping people, right? Of course, we all went into clinical care, medicine, psychology, mental health, whatever it is, nursing, you know, any sort of hospital support work because we felt a pull to help people. And there's been this celebration um, of healthcare heroes in the past couple of years, right? They are heroes. We applaud them. We celebrate them. They're superheroes. But really, we are not. And that healthcare hero message, we're finding that it can be not helpful and perhaps even damaging because this constant message that you're getting that you're a hero, you can do anything, you get... I can't, you know, I, I can't, you know, I don't feel like I can keep going on. I don't have enough for the rest of my life or my family or myself. And the other thing we hear a lot is, well, your, your job must be so gratifying. You're so lucky to help people. Yes. And that's not enough to meet my very basic needs of sleep, rest, income, stress, uh, community. So I think that this narrative around our heroes and healthcare, you know, in many ways we have to put our money where our mouth is and change the supports and the systems so that we can carry on to continue doing this work. That's one of the first things you said that when, when I asked you about your career and that you wanted balance in your life and, um, 
you know, that's the bare minimum that we should expect out of any, any job, right? Balance. And that is something that gets lost along the way of, you know, being these superheroes, like you said. And, and because of this mentality, then you, how can you possibly say that you need help? And healthcare workers, you know, definitely, I think that's an issue. Um, I've read more than one article saying how people don't feel that they can talk about how bad they feel, how depressed, anxious, stressed, because it's expected of them. But just in general, I think people's threshold due to the pandemic either has been lowered or should be lowered to talk about it, to talk about not feeling a balance, about needing, you know, to take some time off. And I want to share with the listeners how um, how we took a little bit longer to get started today. Please, yeah. <laughs> Can you tell us? Can you tell Absolutely, us why? Absolutely, yes. <laughs> if you don't mind. Um, yes. So... Jorge and I are on different continents right now. It's afternoon for him and it's 9 a.m. Monday morning for me, which is not particularly early, but this is my first task of the day. I was very much looking forward to it. My son, who's in kindergarten, he basically needed to stay home, be sick um, in some ways. And I was sort of running around like a crazy person right up until 8.58 this morning. And I logged on and I said to Jorge, I said, hey, can I have like five minutes? I got, I, I've got some family stuff going on. I just, I'm running around like crazy. I got to just get my head straight. Would you mind if we start in a couple of minutes? I'm going to turn my mic and my, and my camera off. And, and you said. Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, like, um, obviously like take as much time as you need. And that's when we kind of both realized, right. That maybe, you know, due to the pandemic, this is now normal and we're more human, like you put it. Right. I mean, obviously if I had said something else, you would have thought, like who's this guy? <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> you know? I mean, I'm not, I'm not doing podcasts. Yeah, really. but yeah, I mean, I think we're just all more comfortable with saying those things. Now, this is just a quick example of you needing time because there was something stressful going on in your home. You have to balance this constantly, you know, as we all do. And so, to be able to share that openly and getting a quick reply saying take all the time you need, that's fine, you know, that's more important. I do think that's very good. But I, I wanted you to, to share it, Lindsay, and thanks for doing so, because this extends to this larger issue of, okay, yeah, sometimes it's a minor thing, you know, it's like, okay, my my son's sick and everything. But like, what if, you know, it's something that's causing you a lot of stress? Why can't we say, look, I need three days off work. I need a week off work because I'm not functioning. You know? Absolutely. Yes. No, and I think you alluded to this earlier that, you know, one of the things we talk about with kind of stages of moving through the pandemic and, and the, the stress and trauma and grief that it's brought for us is when and how can each of us look for opportunities for post-traumatic growth. And that's different for everyone. That concept has existed in literature for a long time. You know, this idea of finding meaning and making meaning out of whatever life sends your way. And it's sort of like an ultimate goal in, in kind of human existential, you know, growth is just finding meaning. And so for me personally, the pandemic has brought us much further along in just the normalization of talking about mental health across all like all settings which is the coolest part employees are demanding that we be able to talk about it we're talking about it in schools we're talking about it in businesses we're talking about it you know in media much more and 
we are starting to bring the conversation into just normal everyday life. And I recognize that almost every day and I'm grateful for it. I also think that it's my job, I'll speak for myself, it's my job to model that for as many people as I can, to be willing to step up and say in whatever way, you know, is best or most comfortable or appropriate, to just talk about what's going on for you. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I'm, I'm so glad that you have a forum where you can talk about it because it is great to listen to people like you who are so willing to share not only their expertise, but their personal experiences. I feel really lucky that part of my job is having these conversations. And you talked about normalization of mental health. I'm seeing a change on a day-to-day -day in subtle ways. Like I wrote a little bit about um, Simone Biles when she uh, withdrew from the Olympics due to mental health. And that was a big thing. And I've also talked about athletes' mental health and men's mental health on these podcasts. I don't know if you, you're a golf fan, but the Masters was on. And it was won by an American uh, who's the number one golfer in the world. And he said in his post-tournament interview, and maybe I picked up on this, obviously, because of the position I'm in, but he said subtly, you know, I was crying last night, my eyes out, because I didn't think that I could possibly achieve this. And then he went on about other things. And no one was, it wasn't a headline grab or anything, but I thought, like, he just admitted something that even a couple of years ago, no one would have, like, cry like a, a man, a male athlete to talk about crying because he didn't feel worthy of it, you know? And now it was it was just part of the story. So that is normalization of it. That is people reading it and not even realizing that it's okay to do that. Because it's such a pressure filled moment for someone. And that is a job after all. Anyone can relate to that because, you know, this guy's job is being a golfer. Our job, you know, is in digital mental health. We're talking about clinicians a lot, but anyone can relate. I mean, anyone listening here can say, look, yeah, you're, you're talking from your experience as a clinician, but I get this in my job, in whatever their job may be. It's very universal, which is great. And which is why it's great that it's being normalized now. So the other thing that I wanted to ask you is, you know, since we're talking about it and talking about the problem, it is a problem. Uh, people are leaving their job en masse. And I saw this report that said that more clinicians are leaving than the ones coming in. So there's a shortage. There's obviously this has an effect on waiting times, on patient care. What can be done about it? I know it's a might be an unfair question because there's so many things, but from your perspective, what can society or government bodies or, or the industry do? Yeah, it is a, it's a big question and I'll try not to get on too large of a soapbox here, but it is something that I feel strongly about. I also lived through it. My husband's also a mental health therapist who works in community mental health now. And I see, I live with someone who feels the effects of kind of working in that type of high intensity clinic setting every day. So one important thing about burnout is that it's not an individual issue. We need to sort of think about it as an organizational issue. There's a tendency to talk about burnout and think about setting boundaries, taking care of yourself, like finding hobbies, you know, all of these things that are about me, right? And and instead of looking at you know, sort of the systems and organizations in which we work and the fact that they need to be set up in a way that is more supportive and conducive to long, healthy, happy careers. I think within 
mental health, there's a lot of barriers to getting into the field of actually being able to practice. There's a lot of schooling. There is a lot of postgraduate supervision hours that are actually quite difficult to obtain depending on your license type, your state, and you know your place of work. That's thousands of hours, years of hours of work before you can be licensed to practice independently. And then even then, you know, we didn't go into this field for the money, but we have to be able to make a living wage, right? And so people have really dedicated so much of their life to getting to the point of being able to practice. They are sometimes burnt out before they even start. Yeah. And you know what? Um, that means that there's also a lot of opportunities for you to regret and second guess and leave before you actually become a practicing, fully trained doctor. You know, when I was in medical school, someone asked, this was in the fourth year, would you do it all over again if you could start? And despite the fact that this was my third career choice, which you may not know, know but that. I did engineering and applied maths before medicine, um, I was the only one back then who said I would because I had found my calling. I really wanted it. The rest said, um, no, it's just too much. It's too too difficult, too much. I mean, obviously, that's a subjective thing. I'm not saying that they couldn't and I could, but I'm saying that these conversations happened along the course, like you're saying, you know. So if you're already burnt out, then you're going to drop out. So I think it's, you know, this barriers of getting in is super important. Not not enough people talk about it. So I'm glad that you mentioned Yeah, it. you're exactly right. For decades, you know, a certain percentage of doctors have said, you know, I would not recommend doing this. I think that's gotten bigger. I, I don't know the stats. I, I know that they exist. I don't have them offhand. But more and more folks are saying, like, I wouldn't do this again. And how can we, you know, as a society, value all sorts of healthcare, but for me, mental health care, put more value on it all around, you know, so that we are creating a sustainable, you know, workplace where people don't have to ha have two jobs just to work their full-time job that they got with a master's degree, right? So it's just, you know, how do we place more value and resources into uh, these parts of healthcare? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I think if society continues to normalize and appreciate the importance of mental health, then the profession will inspire more to get involved and not necessarily in this long career path, but in many other ways, therefore, you know, alleviating the pressure from those who do, you know, because, you know, we can talk about collaborative care models and things like that and solutions like digital solutions, which do help therapists classically trained. And on that, I mean, you, of course, work in in a company that, you know, provides digital solutions. I do as well, and now, now we work together. But, you know, what are some distinct advantages, not talking about our company specifically, but in general, you know, that digital and technology does now provide to clinicians and may alleviate burnout? Yes, great questions. I think there's a couple of different kind of buckets that that can fall into. We know that there's a lot of inefficiencies with with healthcare, um, like documentation and care management, and just navigating the realities of completing all you need to do from start to finish for for care. So the hope is that we can sort of make things more efficient, make it less of a drag to get kind of through your day's administrative work. I think that the flexibility of, you know, telehealth, of, of video, 
has made more people able to access care, but also therapists more able to provide care that is flexible and fits into their lives. So I I think when you go to a clinic and you have four no-shows and then you're sitting around in an empty office for four hours and you're not making money, that can really impact your morale. Now, if that happens at home and I'm still not making money because my patients didn't show up, at least I can do the laundry or like go for a walk. You know, it's, it's, for me, it makes a big difference. Um, you know, the, the ability to fit care into my life a little bit more flexibly, but the digital delivery of high quality evidence-based treatment interventions, like products like Silver Clouds does, you know, with digital CBT, first of all, it, it can help a whole band of lower acuity folks really not need to, to escalate to needing a therapist. It can extend care beyond the therapy session. So if I can send you home with some materials that are delivered to you in a way that is consumed, and then you come back and then you, we can move along more effectively in therapy, it moves treatment along more quickly and it you know reduces the amount of kind of teaching that therapists have to do, which can get a little bit draining. So I think that the the digital, I would love to hear your thoughts, not just of what you're excited about maybe in, in what's coming in the, in the field, but it's definitely, you know, it's extending our, our capabilities and it's making care more flexible. Yeah, I agree with everything you're saying there. It is exciting because, you know, you feel that you can offer anything that anyone needs at any point in time in this way. I mean, what I mean by that is, you talked about different levels of acuity, so severity. If you, you know, just need a kind of a light touch intervention or you need something stronger, like, and it's and it's all connected. It's kind of this kind of 360 lifelong support system or access to evidence-based care. And I get excited about the evidence-based because, you know, it's growing exponentially because a lot of it is data-driven and we can use techniques like machine learning, predictive modeling, things like that, to ensure that the care gets delivered to the right person at the right time. And I love being able to say that without, you know, questioning in it. It's just kind of a matter of time. And every day we're, we're learning new things. Um, obviously, a lot to be careful about because we're talking about healthcare. We're talking about, you know, improving people's lives through better outcomes. And, you know, that can be sensitive or difficult to actually achieve. Um, so it shouldn't be taken lightly. But I think, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely something that it's um, exciting and will will change a lot of people's lives for the better. Um, so that's great. And it's not just at the level of the individual, but, you know, the level of the clinician. I mean, these solutions help the clinicians. I love how you put it where, you know, at least if I'm at home and I'm delivering it at home, I can do something else with my time and do the laundry, you know, and, and that's absolutely true. Like less of your time is wasted. Yes. I, I, I hadn't really put it in those terms, but you're absolutely right. This has been great. Thank you so much for your insights, Lindsay. Super interesting, super helpful, I hope, for many people. Yes. Well, thank you, Jorge. It's been a pleasure. And uh, let's do it again. My sincere thanks to my guest, Dr. Lindsay Henderson. To hear more conversations surrounding digital mental health, you can listen to all previous episodes of CB Talks online. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. I'll be back next time looking at another way in which digital technologies are involved in mental health. I really hope to see you then. Thank you.